Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. We love being here with you guys. Um, Bill and I are part of the preaching team at New Day. We're pastoral assistants, and so from time to time we get to speak down here, and it's always a joy to see your faces and catch up a little bit. Um, but um, as you probably know, 2017 at New Day, we have this theme of uh, the three journeys, and we're taking four months to look at each of the journeys. And today we find ourselves in the middle of the upward journey where we are just focusing on learning about who God is, getting to know him more so that we can become like him. And I was just really feeling during worship, you know, that it's a beautiful worship set about intimacy with the Lord and desiring him. I just felt him, the father saying that he just really wants us to know him, to know who he really is. You know, we have so many misconceptions about him and um, and his, the cry of his heart is to know me, come close. When we, when we know who he is, we're going to run to him like a child who knows their parent loves them and they're safe and secure. They love to run and be near and have intimacy. But if they don't really know their parent or think their parent isn't safe, they're not going to do that. And so the father just wants us to come. And so we are actually... Um, going to bring the second week of a four-week series on the book of Psalms, where each week the speaker will select a particular psalm or a portion of a psalm, as Jimmy shared last week, um, and we'll go through verse by verse. And the psalms are perfect because they speak of who God is, so it's just just right to have in, in the middle of our upward journey. But um, before we uh, jump into our particular psalm today, I want to Choir and, and to sing and worship the Lord. Okay, and so the Psalms are meant to teach God's people, then and now, to teach us this lifelong practice of prayer and communicating with the Lord, and um, as we all are striving to obey His commands. So these poems fall into two major categories um, the first being lament, which these kinds of poems would express pain anger, confusion, um, everything that's wrong with the world and asking God to do something about it. And then there are poems of praise. And these are poems of joy and celebration. And they retell of all the good things God has done. They tell of all the you know good things in the world and they thank God for it. And um, it's interesting, as we were studying this, there is a shift that you'll see in the Psalms from lament to praise. So even within a particular Psalm, it may start with lament, and by the end, it's praise. Or even as you go through the book of Psalms, 
praise poems outnumber lament the further you get to the end. And that teaches us something really important about prayer and our communication with God, that it's okay to acknowledge the difficulties or the evil in the world, um, but we don't stop there. We look forward with faith and hope, knowing that he is good and proclaiming you know, what he's going to do and fulfilling his promises. So that, that's a little bit on the book of Psalms. Sound good? All right. So today we are going to look at Psalm 23. Gwen, isn't that interesting? That's what you mentioned was your other passage on the prayer shawl. Um, but this is probably the most familiar, maybe the most famous psalm. And so we just, we wanted to, to focus on this one. It's a beautiful chapter. So before we uh, break it up verse by verse, let's just read this all together in unison. Okay, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, so uh, as it said in verse 1, it's a psalm of David. Um, and we're going to kind of take this verse by verse. It's expository teaching, so we just go through the verses, dig into what they mean, what is the context of each verse, maybe some of the, what do the Hebrew root words in the verse mean, to give you a more depth of insight into um, this particular chapter. So, um, Marilee will speak on each of the even verses, and I'm odd. So, I'll start with verse 1. So um, it's Psalm of David, and verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we'll take a little bit of a look at who is David, um, what are shepherds in ancient Middle Eastern culture, and then uh, I shall not want speaks of provision. So that's where we will dive in. Um, it's believed that uh, David wrote Psalm 23 near the end of his life. So it's kind of a psalm of reflection um, and looking back. So I thought, well, we should look at... What was kind of the trajectory of David's life? What were some significant things that, um, that he experienced? And he started out the youngest of eight sons. His dad's name was Jesse. You can read about him in the Old Testament, of course. Um, he was actually the shepherd of the family's flock of sheep. And you see this in several of the different um, Old Testament books when it talks about him. Um, there's a period of time where he was actually going back and forth between um, Saul's army out at the battlefield and going back to care for sheep, back and forth. Um, and actually in 1025 BC, when he's anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel, um, he, they had to call him in from tending the flock. Um, so uh, Jesse took each of his sons, starting with the oldest, past the prophet because he wanted to anoint a king. And he started with the oldest. No, not him. No, not the next one. No, not the next one. Finally, Samuel's like, do you have any other sons? He's like, oh yeah, the youngest one. He's out there tending the sheep, and they call him in, and he's anointed by Samuel to be the next king. But he doesn't take over as king right away. 
There's this long period of time where he's anointed to be the next king, but the current king, whose name is Saul, is pretty jealous about that and pretty unhappy that he's not going to be king anymore. So there's a period of time where he actually wants to kill David. Um, so David's kind of on the run during this time. Four years of that time, he actually moves out to a foreign land, another country, lives in Philistine for those four years. When he's in the country, he's kind of on the run, living in caves, him and his band of brothers um, hiding out away from Saul. Eventually, 15 years after being anointed, he does become king. Then he's got this nice long reign as king of Israel, uh, but it's not without trouble. There's some ups and downs in his reign. Um, some of the highlights and things, he actually brings the Ark of the Covenant, which was the physical representation of the presence of God, into the capital, which is a highlight. A low light is probably his son Absalom's re rebellion, where he nearly takes the kingdom from his dad and then is killed, and David mourns the loss of, of his son. So um, a rich set of life experiences that David comes to uh, the parchment or whatever he wrote Psalm 23 on originally. Lots of ups and downs, lots of things to reflect on as he writes it. And how does he open it? The Lord is my shepherd. So a shepherd writing about shepherds. That's why we want to dig into the context of what, what was shepherding like? What does each of these little parts of the passage mean? Um, but in general, just as a high-level overview to get us started, shepherds start by getting the sheep out of the pen back in the day when David was a shepherd. Get them out of the pen, lead them out to pasture, um, and hopefully bring them all back at the end of the day. Um, protect the sheep, but when a sheep is lost, find and bring them back. It's a very sacrificial job. You're um, operating on sheep clock, getting up early, taking them out. You're out all day. Um, in the Middle East, summers can get really dry, so there are times where you take the sheep out actually for days at a time because you've got to go a long way to find anything left for them to eat. They've kind of munched through all the stuff that's close by, both your flock and the other flocks from the village, so you're having to go farther and farther. So there's a lot to it and uh, requires a lot of the shepherd. And actually, when we go to the New Testament and we look at the things that Jesus said, he calls back to Psalm 23 when he says, I'm the good shepherd. So Jesus is saying, hey, remember when David said the Lord, which actually the word is Jehovah, which is like the one true God, you know, the big man upstairs. When David said the Lord is my shepherd, Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. It's actually a claim to divinity. Um, I'm not just another prophet. I am that guy. I'm one with the Father. So um, Jesus is actually the fulfillment of what David wrote about the good shepherd. We see it in John 10, 10, and 11 when Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, have full life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he didn't even just mean figuratively, like, hey, it's a lot of work to care for you people spiritually. He actually meant, I'm, I'm going to be crucified. He was speaking of what was to come. Um, so that is really cool. So as we think about the good shepherd and the things we learn in the 23rd Psalm, we look forward to... What, is, what does that mean about Jesus? What does that mean about our relationship in coming to salvation through Jesus Christ and living a life of following Jesus and coming into relationship with Father God? All right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So I shall not want, um, let my heart want for nothing but only you. We talked you know, this morning. So what does it mean? Like To want is to be lacking something. And the song we sang this morning was like, hey, um, 
I'm not going to seek after the riches of this world. I'm going to just seek after you. It was kind of pointing toward that. But um, you can actually translate this, I lack nothing, or I have all I need. So David is saying, when the Lord is my shepherd, when I seek him first, I have everything I need. Um, and actually, this, this word translated, I shall not want, is frequently used to describe the Lord's provision to his people, the nation of Israel, when they were in the wilderness. So this is the time between when they left Egypt, before they entered a promised land, settled down, started farming and, and doing all this, you know, building homes and villages. They're kind of wandering in tents in the wilderness, flocks going with them. And there's highs and lows to that, but the Lord provided. They had all they need. You'll remember what Israel mentioned, the parting of the Red Sea to get them away from their enemies. You'll remember manna that came down each morning to feed them, water from a rock when they were thirsty. I have all I need. It's not necessarily easy. <laughs> it's not necessarily um, you know, settled in the promise yet, but there is a promise, and I have all I need as I get to it. So that's first one. Pretty good so far? Was that odd? Well, we'll make it even because it's time for verse 2. All right. So verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So I'm just wondering, how many of you have ever raised sheep here? Anybody? Okay. A couple, yes. <laughs> You're not supposed to raise your hand if you haven't. <laughs> okay. Um, so this was really interesting for us because we learned so many things that we had no idea of. One of which, and maybe if, if our study is wrong, you can tell me, oh, that's not really how sheep are. But what we studied was that, um, that apparently sheep are pretty finicky and you can't like make them sit or lay down like a dog or something. Like they just won't do it. So, um, what needs to happen is that the shepherd would have to surround them with the environment to where they can settle in and feel peace, where they've been able to eat, where they've been able to drink. They're not afraid of predators. And then once they feel settled, then they'll lay down and rest. And that portion, he makes me lie down, um, can be translated, um, he settles me down. And so it's this image of, um, you know, just this good shepherd knowing his sheep. God knows us, knows the condition of our heart, and he can create this environment and this place for us to settle in and relax. It's not like he makes you will lie down. You know? um, and then in, in, in green pastures. So this is just amazing. He, you know, it's the tastiest grass. It's the fresh, good stuff. It's not, okay, you're surrounded by this, you know, brown stuff or whatever. You know, this is the kind of shepherd he is. Um, he leads me. So um, this isn't, you know, he drives me. It's this guiding with care. Um, and so this was really interesting. So apparently the shepherds would walk ahead of the sheep and play their own unique tune on a pipe or sing their own unique song. And the sheep would know their shepherd's call. The sheep would know their shepherd's voice and tune into that and follow that. 
And so there was such a connection between the sheep knowing the call of their shepherd and following that. That was so important. And um, doesn't that sound like John 10, 27? My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says. I know them and they follow me. And this is so good for us that, you know, we can draw this parallel that, you know, God speaks to us. He um, speaks to us in our spirit through pictures, and it's got to line up with Scripture. That's why we need to know our word. We need to know the Bible um, to make sure it, it's legit. But you can know God's voice. You can learn what his call sounds like. And if you haven't done that, I encourage you to start doing that. It's so beautiful. You can have that relationship with the Lord where he speaks to you. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Do you know his voice? Um, I hope that you will uh, pursue that and really get to know his voice. It's so amazing. And then um, it, it's so cool because the another thing about the shepherds, so it was common for several shepherds to gather around one spring or well to drink and rest around midday. But then when one shepherd would decide to leave, he would just give his call and all his sheep would separate themselves from the mixed flock. That is so cool to me. And so that is such a picture for us that even in our lives where we get mixed up in everything that's going on, when we know his voice and he speaks, we can tune in and go where he's leading. And then that last bit of the verse, beside still waters. So this was another cool thing that we learned. Apparently, sheep are afraid to drink from moving water. And so uh, even if it's shallow, if it's rippling, they're not going to do it. And so a loving shepherd would dig a little channel off from the stream to provide a still place for them to drink. And so, and you know, it's just very peaceful. And then the sheep will wait their turn, apparently, because they're not going to drink from moving water. And that's just a beautiful thing that just explains again, hey, our good shepherd knows how we function, what we need, and he provides that. My computer went to sleep. <laughs> so that, moving on to verse three, another odd verse. Do you ever have a really bad joke you want to tell to a group of people, but you're a little nervous? You just feel a little sheepish because it's such a bad joke. That never happens to me. I just plow forward. I love bad jokes. All right. That's the intro to an odd verse. Verse 3. So he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So if you're anything like me, you've always probably read in your, on your page, in your Bible, it all goes together. Um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And it feels like a continuation of verse 2. Like, oh, I've just eaten, I've drank, and now that feels refreshing and restful. And that's very true. But there's actually another translation of he restores my soul, which is he brings me back. And so we're going to look a little bit at he brings me back um, as a possible meaning of what David was talking about. Because if you look at it as he brings me back and then he leads me in paths of righteousness, it's this, this contrast of lost sheep and found sheep. Um, a lot of our study for this uh, message this morning came from this book. So we just wanted to show it to you before I read a big old quote from it. It's by Kenneth E. Bailey. Um, he's a longtime scholar of the Middle East. He lived there for many, many years. He's written a ton of books. 
um, about um, the parables in the New Testament, uh, especially the parables in Luke. And then he wrote this book called The Good Shepherd, and the subtitle is something like A Thousand Year Journey from Psalm 23 to the New Testament. So it actually talks about nine different passages of Scripture that use the imagery of the Good Shepherd and, and all the parallels all through it. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's, it's about half and half. So this is a really good thing. If you want to dig in more to Psalm 23 or um, the Good Shepherd stuff that Jesus talks about in the New Testament, I highly, highly recommend it. But he talks about that, that translation of he brings me back as kind of restoring to us um, imagery in this verse that we've lost with the translation, he restores my soul. So let's read what he said. The translation, he brings me back, makes clear the sheep is lost and the good shepherd is obliged to go after it, find it, and carry it back. We have lost the image of a lost sheep at the heart of Psalm 23. Restoring this image opens the door to reconnect with the rest of the Good Shepherd lost sheep biblical stories. All of that to say, really, when Jesus talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, the lost son, and that trifecta of parables, he's calling back to the lost sheep, found sheep thing right here in verse 3 of Psalm 23. And it really talks about, Jesus gets into it a little deeper. A lost sheep, a shepherd who goes and finds, picks up and carries it home. And actually, that's what Bailey put on the cover of his book. An ancient painter from I don't know what year, a long time ago, painted Jesus with a shepherd's crook and a sheep on his shoulders. So it's kind of interesting. I guess a a lost sheep kind of wanders for some amount of time and then kind of gives up and sits down, maybe in a hiding place, and just gives up. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And they'll kind of you know, bleat or make their, their whine. <laughs> like, hey, I'm lost, come find me. And even after that, you know, they just grow quiet and they, they've kind of given up, I guess. But a shepherd who's going after a lost sheep will make his call, like Marilee talked about, just when he's leading out his flock from the mixed group. He'll make this call, and eventually when the sheep hears him, they'll bleat, and now they hear each other, and the shepherd can come and find the sheep. But the sheep's in this, like, I give up mode. So it won't follow them home. And so you pick it up, you put it on your shoulders, and you carry it home. Um, I'm probably getting ahead of myself in the slides a little bit, but that's what Jesus talks about with the lost sheep. Remember, he says, Who of you who has a hundred sheep and loses one won't leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? Go and find the one and carry it home, and then throw a party. Um, so all of this stuff is kind of calling to memory that David had experience with being a lost sheep. If you remember, after he's king, he's hanging out on the rooftop, which is just normal, I guess. Not for me, because our roof isn't as flat as his was, maybe. I don't know. But he's hanging out on the rooftop, and he sees a beautiful woman and says, oh, I'd like to have her for my own. Who cares if she's married? So he takes her as his own, kills her husband, and tries to cover it all up. This is a lost sheep moment, if I ever heard of one. And uh, he's actually confronted by the prophet Nathan, who says, hey man, what you did was wrong, paraphrased. And, and David actually repents, is very sorry for what he did, and try, every, tries everything he can to make it right. And actually, um, you know, they conceived the child, and he prays that the child would not die. It does, but David comes back into relationship with God. So he's had his lost sheep, carried home moment. And this is what he's maybe thinking about as he reflects at the end of his life and writes, he brings me back. 
and then leads me into paths of righteousness for his namesake. Lost sheep, found sheep, then being led by the shepherd. So like we said, Jesus talks about this. He actually says about himself the mission statement of the Messiah when he speaks for himself is, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So I am the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? I come to seek and find those who are lost and carry them home. And then the Father and I rejoice in finding all three of those parables that Jesus talks about um, in Luke 15 and with a celebration. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in verses to come here in Psalm 23. I think we've said this. Found sheep follow the call of the shepherd. They're led by the shepherd into paths of righteousness. David talks about this in Psalm 119 where he says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, by following your voice. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray or wander from your commands. All right, that brings us to verse 4. All right. Okay, everybody stand up. Some of you are looking too sleepy this morning. Okay, verse 4. Let's pretend like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I want you guys to walk and show me your best scared face. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, let me see it. Oh, that's a good one. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All right, you can sit back down. (laughs) Okay, so I love the word through in this verse. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't stay there. Uh, We don't have to live there. We pass through it, and he is with us, and his comfort is there. Um, But as we were studying, we found out that the valley of the shadow of death were actual places that it would have been very normal for the shepherds to have to bring their flocks through. And they were these deep, narrow valleys, these gorges where winter streams would have cut... um, crevices, these long, deep crevices in the rock. And um, these would be paths through as the shepherds were taking the flocks along where they would have to go through these. There was no other bypass. You know, there was no other route. They had to go through these um, dark, scary places. And, um, you know, it was dark there. At some places it said that it was so narrow that a sheep couldn't even really turn around. It was like single file at points. Um, but then it would widen out to about 12 feet at points. But anyway, it's dark down there. There's a constant threat of boulders crashing down on you. Bandits might hide and, and rob you. I mean, it was just not a great place to have to walk through, but this was part of being a shepherd and having the flocks. There were these places they had to pass through. And that is so true of our life. We walk through things that are difficult, that are dark, that are scary, that we, the only way we can make it through is because we know our shepherd is trustworthy and has a rod and has a staff to comfort us. It's the only way we can make it through these places. Um, so one thing that I think is really cool is David says that he's not going to fear the evil. I will fear no evil. That word fear means to hold in awe, have reverence toward. How many times do we put our awe and our reverence toward evil? I was just blown away by that. Like, wow, David's like, I'm not going to do that. There may be evil things, but 
you know, I'm not going to uh, revere the evil. Um, and what is the one thing or the one person that we are supposed to fear? Yeah, the only thing. We only have one thing, guys, to be afraid of. In our whole life, one thing. Just the Lord. The one who loves you more than you could possibly love yourself. Or anyone could love you. That is the one one person to fear. Not fear nothing else. For you are with me. Um, this is the um, um, the climax. This phrase is the climax of the chapter. It was common for them to structure um, their poems by putting their main point in the middle. And we know that like this is the important bit, this, this main phrase here, because instead of talking about the Lord as he, he says you. He changes it and directly talks to, to the Good Shepherd, for you are with me. And it shows us that this is the key point here. And um, I, I mean, this is the key point of the whole Bible, you know, God being with us, the whole point of creating humans in the first place is to be with us, to have that relationship, to have unity. It was broken in the Garden of Eden because of sin, and God immediately put into place the plan to be able to be with us again. He sends Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is the whole point, that, that we are to be with God. And if you're not with God this morning, if you don't have that close relationship with him. If you are a lost sheep, today is the day. Today is the day to come into relationship with him and know his goodness and be united with him. Um, but it would have been extremely important for the sheep to have the shepherd with them. They don't have any natural, I mean, like skills really. Like they don't have big claws or big teeth. I mean, they can do a little bit of headbutting, but. Um, they can't run super fast, so they need that good shepherd to, to care for them, don't they? Okay, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, this is super cool. So your, the, rod, the word rod is a masculine noun, and the word staff is a feminine noun. And so both of these tools that the shepherd use are vitally important, and we can see that this uh, masculine um, nature of God, this feminine nature, well, he is neither male nor female. He is spirit, but he created us both, male and female, in his image. So you can see how he put part of himself into men and part of himself into women. And this is just kind of really cool. Let me unpack it for you. So the rod was the shepherd's main offensive weapon. It was about two and a half feet long, and it had a mace-like end on the, um, on the end of it with iron embedded in it. And this is what David used to fight off the lions and the bears. We can read in 1 Samuel 17, verse 34 and 35, uh, this verse is when David is defending his ability to um, com com be fight 
Okay, fight's an easier word. I don't know what I was trying to say. (laughs) To fight Goliath, and he's telling King Saul, no, I can do it because, and he says this, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck and delivered the lamb from his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So this is obviously, you know, close range combat. He would have been using the rod. And this represents, so the rod represents God's aggressiveness in defending his sheep. Um, which is super cool. Okay, so one other use for the rod was it was used to count the sheep at the end of the day. So he would hold the rod out, and the sheep would have to pass under one by one as they were going back into the pen. That was his way of knowing where his count was. Was he missing one? And if he finds, after they pass under that rod, he finds he's missing one, he's going to immediately start a search and find that lost sheep. So that rod also represents the assurance that if I'm lost, he's going to find out and he's going to come for me. That, that, um, that you know, just pursuing and rescuing that nature of God um, is represented there in the rod. Um, and then the staff. So the staff was different. It was longer, um, lighter weight, about five feet long with a crook at the end. And this was the major support for the shepherd. He had to have this staff because he's constantly climbing and, and walking around all day. And so this um, helps him as he's leading his sheep. Um, and then it was long enough where it could guide the edges of the flock in the right direction. They could sort of steer a little bit the flock. Um, and then it was... Um, used also like let's say a sheep were to um, fall into a, a stream or into a crevice or something then the shepherd could use that crook and, and, and hook it around the lamb's shoulder uh, or leg and pull it out to safety back onto the path and so it was um, you know this, this gentle, gently uh, lifting it back and so this really represents God's uh, caring and nurturing for his sheep as he leads them in the daily search for food and water and rest. He would use that staff um, for the sheep. And so they comfort me. So the, the, the sight of these two things would have been a comfort to the sheep, the rod and the staff. Um, the sheep would, would be comforted by that, the protection of the rod and the gentle uh, guidance of the staff brings us to verse 5. Isn't it funny how in summertime you can get cold at church sometimes? The AC is just blowing cold, and you're like, man, I shouldn't have worn a wool sweater to church. In verse 5, the picture changes a little bit. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So we're just going to talk a little bit about the celebration feast, um, the oil, and the cup. I'll try to move quickly. I know it's getting a little late. We apologize for running a little bit over. I know you all want to flock to the donuts and fellowship after church, so we'll keep it moving here. But a celebration feast. I kind of already mentioned earlier the three parables that Jesus told all end with a celebration feast. And here in Psalm 23, David talks about lost sheep, found sheep, going through the valley of the shadow of death. And after all of this journey as a sheep following its good shepherd, it's kind of a celebration, right? It's like, hey, we did it. 
We're in relationship. It's all been accomplished. Let's celebrate. Let's just keep moving. That's enough about that. Oil. So we used oil this morning. There's a couple of uses for oil that we see throughout Scripture. One is perfumed oil um, that you put on an honored guest. Um, Jesus actually talks about it in um, Luke 7. He visits Simon the Pharisee's house. Simon doesn't offer him water to wash his feet, which is a common gesture for a guest, and doesn't offer him um, oil, to, like perfumed oil, to anoint him as a guest. But the, the woman known as a sinner is washing Jesus' feet with tears and, and using this costly perfumed oil to anoint Jesus. Um, so that's one way to honor a guest. So the oil, you anoint my head with oil, speaks of being the honored guest at God's celebration banquet. Um, and then anointing oil. We anointed the, the prayer cloth this morning for a particular use. And we see all throughout Scripture where um, a person is anointed to take a particular office, to be used in a particular way by God. Um, you see it when Moses, the prophet in Leviticus 8, anoints Aaron and his sons to be priests and to begin the priesthood um, and those priestly duties. You see it also, as we said, with David when the prophet Samuel comes to his father's house and anoints him to be the next king. So here, um, you anoint my head with oil, David is saying, you're throwing a party and you honor me as a guest at your party and you anoint me for the purposes that you have for me. Very cool. My cup overflows. This speaks to abundance. Um, that I can't contain his provision. It's running over. Um, and also that the Lord goes over the top in the celebration feast. So we may show off in our culture today by putting a Lamborghini in the driveway of our mansion. And people out beyond the gate who drive by on the street look in and say, Whoa, they're so rich. None of you do that, I'm sure. I, I wouldn't either. Um, Lamborghini, that's not my favorite. But anyway, um, as you know from last time, uh, 1959 Corvette, right? that would have been my choice. But anyway, um, this idea of showing off in, in the ancient Middle East, you actually show off by throwing a feast. If you um, have a great inheritance or um, a really good year and, and the, uh, there's just an abundance and you want to celebrate or you want to show off a little bit, you invite everybody over, throw a feast with so much food they can't eat it all and so much wine they can't drink it all. So my cup overflows really talks about, God, when you show off, I'm the honored guest. I'm, the, I'm part of what you show off. So very, very cool. And kind of coming to that culmination of the journey of life with the Good Shepherd. Verse 6. Awesome. All right, so the last verse here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So at the end of the day, the shepherds could follow behind the sheep on the way home. You know, sheep didn't necessarily know where the shepherd was leading them out for the day to find green pastures and still waters, but they knew um, where to go to get home as long as they weren't lost. They knew how to get home. So that meant that the shepherd could follow behind with his goodness and mercy instead of bears and lions following behind and there being danger. So this speaks of the shepherd being a rear guard as well as everything else that he is in, in the chapter here. Um, and so the good, goodness, that word um, in, in Hebrew can be translated prosperity, happiness, kindness, um, moral goodness. And so this is what 
follows behind David, what follows behind us. This is an amazing promise. Um, and then mercy can be translated um, faithfulness and obligation, like a covenant devotion, um, and also favor and love and, and undeserved mercy. And so these are the things that um, <clears throat> we can expect in our life, that that is what is, that God is surrounding us with and what's coming behind us. Isn't that awesome? And then lastly, David just says, um, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <clears throat> so he just ends with this uh, proclamation to the Lord. I want to be where you are. You know, I want to stay. I want to remain in your dwelling place. Wherever you inhabit, I'm there for all the length of my days forever. So just his heart of devotion and love for the Lord is expressed there. So, yeah, so in closing, I just hope that, you know, some of these things that we've been able to unpack for you about the shepherd can cause you to maybe see our amazing God in, in a slightly different light and go, oh, wow, that's amazing, and be drawn toward him and have deeper intimacy and relationship with him. So let's just stand, and we can close in prayer this morning. Father God, we thank you that you are a good shepherd, that you are willing to seek and find us, to rescue us and bring us home, to make us your honored guest, um, that you have plans for us to go on a journey of life together with you. We can hear your voice and follow you, God. I pray each of us would grow in better recognizing your voice in all the ways you speak to us, through circumstance, through your word, through others. Um, and through really all of creation you speak. Help us to hear you better, to follow you more closely, God, and to live life in close relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we begin to wrap up, we want to invite you to come back next week. Pastor Mark will be here speaking on The Lord is My King, again from the Psalms. It'll be a great continuation. If you have any prayer need whatsoever, the prayer team is available on this side as we close up. Otherwise, you can... You're already standing?